The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Building Healthier Relationships podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. Being healthy yourself and kind of getting yourself into whether we need to do therapy afterwards, whether you need to, you know, go to church, whatever it might be that you need, um, work on, work out more, get, get yourself back together a little bit so that you feel good about you and then get into a healthy relationship. That is the best closure there is. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of Building Healthier Relationships podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Angela. She's a licensed professional counselor specializing in narcissistic abuse recovery, high conflict divorce and teenage girl experiences. She's also an author of an ebook, Surviving Divorce, a Therapist's Step-by-Step Guide. Are you wondering how to spot a flying monkey and if they ever see the truth? Do you know why narcissists are so abusive towards their scapegoats? Have you ever been accused of projecting your stuff onto others and has that made you question if you really do that? Do you know what the difference is between closure in a healthy relationship and closure in a narcissistic relationship? Do you feel like you want to confront the narcissist in your life about the abuse so you can get closure? If any of these questions interest you, then this episode is for you, because Angela will be discussing these topics in our show today. Hi Angela, thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you on this podcast episode. Thank you so much. It's so great to be back again. That's nice to hear. Let's get started with the questions and the Question number one is, how do I spot a flying monkey? And if I find out someone I care about deeply is a flying monkey, will they ever see the truth or are they gone forever? Oh, great question. So just like in the Wizard of Oz, you know, flying monkeys do all the hard work for the Wicked Witch, right? And sometimes in the, narciss- the narcissist in our life can infect people that we love into thinking that we're the problem. They kind of want to tell everybody that we're the bad guy. Narcissistic people are highly manipulative, seductive, and powerful. Um, if somebody that you care about deeply is swayed by a narcissist, then I think we should ask some questions. Um, some of the questions might be, what is in it for the narcissist? Why would they tell someone that I cared about that I'm bad? What's in it for them? I would also ask, why did the narcissist tell you that? What's in it for you? Um, And I would really want my loved one to look at the facts. How do I treat treat my loved one? And am I good to you? Are we truthful to each other? Do we have a good relationship? I really think that healthy, stable people would probably be able to see the reality of what's going on. Angela is right. Healthy and stable people are most likely going to see the reality at one point or another. 
However, if you are going through narcissistic abuse, it is extremely important that you are aware of what kind of people you have around you. This is because you probably don't confide in others because you are sure that what you are going through is abuse, but you confide in others to have your version of reality validated and to have reassurance that what you are going through is not okay. So if you end up confiding in people who are not supportive, like flying monkeys, this can cause a lot of self-doubt and anxiety in you. It's for this reason that being able to analyze the relationship someone has with the narcissist to determine whether or not they are a flying monkey is such an important skill to have. And we teach you this skill in our article, How to Spot a Flying Monkey. We believe that the most accurate and reliable approach one could have when trying to spot a flying monkey has two steps. One, you should uncover the relationship the suspected flying monkey has with the narcissist. And two, you should figure out the narrative that the suspected flying monkey supports. So how you uncover the type of relationship that the suspected flying monkey has with the narcissist? One of the best ways to do this is by being aware of the three different types of flying monkeys. First, there are flying monkeys who are forced into the role. For example, in a narcissistic group setting like the workplace or a family, the narcissist's abusive behavior often frightens those who witness it so severely that they are forced into becoming the narcissist's flying monkey out of the fear of becoming the target of the narcissist's wrath if they don't. Then there are flying monkeys who naturally gravitate towards the role. For example, people who have low consciousness, high level of extroversion and high levels of agreeableness are often so self-absorbed, impulsive, extroverted and susceptible to manipulation that they naturally gravitate towards the role of a flying monkey. This type of person could be narcissistic themselves or they could just be attracted to trauma-filled environments. Then lastly, there are flying monkeys that are manipulated into the role. After months, years or even decades of narcissistic abuse, one's mental and physical health will begin to decline. Narcissists are very good at spreading lies and gossip designed to make the friends and family become concerned for, angry at or disappointed in the victim. So when you are aware of these different types of flying monkeys, it's easier for you to uncover the type of relationship the flying monkey has with the narcissist. Also, if the flying monkey later sees the truth, understanding the type of flying monkey you are dealing with might help you to decide if you want to repair the relationship with them or not. For example, you might want to keep flying monkeys who naturally gravitate towards the role out of your life, especially if they are narcissistic themselves, whereas repairing the relationship with a flying monkey who was forced into the role might totally be worth it. In the article, you can read about how to best figure out the narrative that the suspected flying monkey supports. You can find the link in the podcast notes. Like, let's say you are having a conversation with this flying monkey and they are kind of reacting to whatever the conversation is about, but they are reacting in a way that you are like, oh, oh no, they believe the narcissist. Would you then just say like, hey, but look at the facts and bring that up kind of? Absolutely. I think I would say, hey, look at the facts. Do you and I have a good relationship? Are we truthful with each other? Because this narcissist and I are having problems and I'm not sure why they're bringing up to you some of these things. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's a great point, for example, to say that, well, mm, like if you think about someone who, uh, you know, is trying to, like, at, at least to me, it is a, already a red flag if someone is trying to talk badly about someone else. So it's pretty easy to then say, well, think about why why would they do this? Because probably healthy people, they don't go around and just gossip about about others and stuff like that. But sometimes their lies can be like very, very convincing. Like I have heard like many situations, like because the narcissistic abuse, you maybe have like maladaptive coping. Let's say you start drinking or do something to, you know, cope with the abuse because you just feel so low, you maybe develop depression and then turn like you know just maladaptive coping and then the narcissist is able to create this convincing lie that well they started drinking again and look at look at them like they don't seem very good and then the flying monkey can be like well well that is a fact yeah they they did start drinking again and you know yeah. it's a tricky situations it's a very tricky situation because again narcissists are so seductive in the way that they phrase things and manipulative in their speaking so it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I think I think if you care deeply about someone, they're going to talk to you honestly and um hopefully the relationship is healthy enough that you can discuss this. Mm-mm, yeah. So do they like do they question will they ever see the truth or are they gone forever? That I think yeah. they'll see the truth. Yeah, eventually it will like come out. Maybe there is a phase in your relationship with this flying monkey that is very um like close to you and that you deeply care about maybe there's a face that Mm -hmm. there's like kind of questioning from the flying monkey's side but then yeah yeah Yeah. usually yeah absolutely there's there's gonna be a little of that um but again i think it does come back around yeah uh then the second question if narcissists need a scapegoat why do they treat them so badly why are they so abusive why don't they want to be nice to us to keep us around? Oh, great question. Um, you know, psychological abuse is the nature of narcissism. So it's difficult. It's a difficult question, really, because it's like asking, why is the sky blue? Why does, do narcissists treat us so badly? It's what they do. Um, usually we find this role of scapegoat in a family system, and it's usually a child of a narcissist. So the narcissistic parent usually portrays one one kid in particular as the problem or the difficult one, and that's the scapegoat. Mm. They usually do this um, to maintain kind of a sense of denial about any personal responsibility. In fact, they won't take any personal responsibility. Parents who scapegoat, um, no accountability, no responsibility for a bad relationship, um, they're they're really in a challenging parenting pattern and their behavior contributes to the problem, of course. And scapegoating just basically shifts the blame. And once that's happened, the damage is done to the scapegoat child. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember, like sometimes they are really nice. Narcissists can be nice, right? They're not all bad. So that's what makes this so crazy and challenging is that um, nice one minute, turning on you the next and it's this dysfunctional pattern of relating that causes damage Mm. so they're 
the reason why do they treat their scapegoats so badly is because they want to escape their own accountability and not want to look into their own problematic behavior? Absolutely. They don't want to take any personal res or they won't take any personal responsibility for perhaps being part of the problem. They just need somebody to blame. And it's easier to get everybody on board to see that this one child in particular is the bad guy, is the problem, is the difficult kid, instead of looking at it like there is a problem with our whole family. Mm -hmm. And then the, there is one part of this question that says, why don't they want to be nice to us to keep us around? What I what came to my mind from that is that if you think about a narcissist or a narcissistic person, that they are just incapable of maintaining healthy relationships and healthy relationship dynamics because of, well, <laughs> one could be the blame shifting because that is not very very nice right. behavior, but then all right. the, all the other other stuff too, like gaslighting. Great sure. rage from little things that it can be very destabilizing, especially for like a child. Yeah. You see, see you well, apparently. nice is not nice and narcissism don't always go together. They can be nice, but it isn't the flavor of narcissism. See, the flavor of narcissism is to not be nice. <laughs> so, you know, that's why this is a difficult question is because it's they yeah they'll be nice to get what they need or to get fuel or to to maintain an agenda but they're not going to be nice forever mm -hmm. okay uh then the third question i have a narcissistic friend and one of her favorite lines is you're just project projecting your stuff onto me I'm 99% sure that she is just gaslighting me, but how can I make sure that I am not using projection on others since projection is a defense mechanisms, mechanism that we all use? Yeah, we, do, we all do see things through our own lens, but projection in terms of narcissism is pretty specific. Um, it means that they're accusing you of doing what they're doing. So uh, they love to use common knowledge terms like projection back at somebody like you're projecting your stuff onto me um, to distract you. Basically, that's what it's to confuse you, to distract you and make you feel a little crazy. It's really classic. So, you know, you're not projecting when you look at evidence and facts. See, we have to stay in reality. If you tell a friend, you know, I really feel like you're avoiding me and it hurts me. And she says, you're just projecting all of your stuff onto me because you're avoiding me. Well, let's look at the facts. If your facts are you've reached out to this friend several times via texts and emails and have gotten no response, then you're not the problem. Your answer then would be, that's not my reality. Because that's my favorite phrase. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So you just, again, looking at reality. Yeah, and that that is a great point because narcissists are very good at like you have, I think you said already, um, distracting you from the reality and trying to portray a reality that is beneficial for them and puts them in the good light. Or exactly, yeah. it's yeah. Um, again, not taking any personal responsibility by projecting and saying, "Well, that's what you're doing to me." 
instead of, oh, shoot, you're right. I did not get back to you. I'm so sorry. I've hurt you. Let's fix it. Yeah, that is, that is like one, one thing that I really don't understand. Like you just said, that would be a healthy person's response. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Let's fix this. Like if you think about if someone responds like yeah. that, there is way less conflict, lay, yeah. way less like energy wasted. Like then it's like, then it's just like, I think it would be like a easier, easier way to do the things. Like then you don't oh, have gosh. to spend time like fighting and being mad at each other. You could just kind of uh, move on from that. So yeah. that is the, like, I always think like how they can't see past that. You're absolutely right. It's so, it's just crazy making. Why do we want to create more crazy and more drama? It, this is, can be solved easily, but it would require personal accountability and responsibility. And that's something they can't do. Mm. So is it really just, and because they can't do it is because they have so strong defenses kind of? Oh, yeah, they have strong, definitely strong defenses and you know, a frame of the world that says, I'm actually not wrong. I'm never wrong. Mm -hmm. So yeah, very distorted or just wrong view of themselves and the world around right. them. And yeah, right. and probably also lack of empathy, because if you can't kind of put yourself into other shoes, you can't see how maybe someone else pursued, uh, I mean, how someone else saw the situation or something. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it creates, um, you know, gaslighting. I don't know what you're talking about. They, they use all of these different um, techniques, basically, to make us feel crazy. So yeah. uh, then the question number four, what is the difference between closure in a healthy relationship and closure in a narcissistic relationship? I have divorced someone before, but it was healthy and I was able to move on. Now I'm divorcing a narcissist and it's a nightmare. What is going on? What is the difference? I feel like I'm missing something. Oh, the difference is really felt, you know, in the body, isn't it? It's it's very <laughs> felt when you divorce in a healthy way and you divorce a narcissist. It's such a difference. Um, healthy divorce requires a, a level of mutual respect and amicable or friendly communication. Divorcing a narcissist is a nightmare on purpose because after all how dare you divorce them that's their their feeling is how dare you divorce me so they're really remember insecure tyrants it's it makes no sense to them why you're getting a divorce even if they've behaved horribly they don't get it um they're gonna battle you to the end they're often diminishing you in every way they like to go to court a lot they're litigious they sue you for everything they file motions in court. They do petty things. They drain you financially and emotionally. A healthy divorce doesn't necessarily do that. It's a lot more fair. I don't think this this uh, caller is really missing anything. I think it's just the difference between healthy and unhealthy. You know, narcissism wreaks havoc in our life with these false narratives, this destructive communication, disrespect. And it makes us feel so crazy. The very best thing to do, especially in the middle of a divorce um, with a narcissist, is to go no contact. And if that can't be done, then we have to use gray rock communication. That's mm. it. Mm. Yeah, so you would say that is the, like, if you 
try to think what is the healthiest way to divorce a narcissist like yeah no contact and if not possible gray rock okay correct correct great yeah i, I feel like uh when you um, divorce or separate or you know break up in a healthy relationship there is kind of this both of the parties are able to s kind of say well I had a great time with you. Thank you for all the time that we had. And I wish you all the best. And then two people can go in separate ways. They can appreciate appreciate the time that they had. They can look back and be like, well, in the end, it didn't work out, but it was worth it. Or like, I still like loved this person. I still may love that person, but we just, we just like right. are choosing our separate ways. And if you think about the closure like that, yeah, it might make you feel sad, but you don't you don't have this whole confusion or just hurt because you right. weren't abused, you and you kind of have a clear reason. Like let's say that the reason you broke up is X, like that's why we are now going in separate ways, but then with the narcissist after all the <laughs> manipulation and then yeah. then just yeah. and uh, often yeah. often they 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 try to destroy you in multiple ways in a healthy divorce. We're just getting divorced. Like we don't, you know, it's not going to work, whatever. We still care for each other. I would, we would still help each other in certain ways, but remember there's no empathy here in a narcissistic relationship. So they, they are out for destruction in every way. So that means they're going to tell all the people that you're a terrible person. They're going to try to destroy you financially. They're going to try to destroy you emotionally. So, the the difference is vast mm -hmm. yeah uh then the question number five uh i want to confront the narcissist in my life about the abuse so i can get closure i want him to know that he didn't break me however i have i have read that this isn't a wise decision and i can't figure out why shouldn't we confront them about their behavior so they don't do it to another person Hmm. Uh, the reason that it isn't very wise to confront them is because they have no empathy, right? They're, they don't care. They just don't care that they hurt you. Um, and if they did hurt you, they would, they would say, well, I hurt you because you hurt me. Yeah. So you're, you're just giving them, if you were trying to work it out and tell them how terrible they are and all the, all the, poor communication that they use and all the manipulation, they basically are getting what they need. They're getting supply in the form of drama and in the form of communication and continued chaos and they like it. So closure in, in a relationship like this, um, it doesn't look the same. It might look a little different to get closure with, um, after having a narcissistic relationship, you know what, create a healthy life live really authentic to yourself start a new relationship with a non-narcissist and make sure you know your red flags and all of the good things to keep out of that again um focusing on the future uh are all ways to kind of gain closure in a better way and look if you need to tell them off in some way and to you know tell them what they've done wrong i always love to write a letter and then burn it sending it up to the, you know, the sky. And that's what we're going to do. We've now put it out into the universe. We'll feel better that it's out of our body and it won't create any more drama for us. Yep. That is, that is true. 
and like you said creating the better future for you that is a sign to him that he didn't break you because this person is here saying i want him to know that he didn't break me so yeah that that is yeah, actually more powerful yeah, than words just showing it for sure uh didn't break you and in fact you're healthier you're better off Mm. It's, it's, you know, being healthy yourself and kind of getting yourself into whether we need to do therapy afterwards, whether you need to, you know, go to church, whatever it might be that you need, um, work on, work out more, get, get yourself back together a little bit so that you feel good about you and then get into a healthy relationship. That is the best closure there is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so today we had some great questions and great answers. Yeah, so good ones. yeah, <laughs> I liked it. I liked these ones. So, uh -huh. um, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode and thank you Angela for coming to this episode and answering all these questions. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.